Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. If an organization is large enough to have an energy manager, they're going to spend a lot of time analyzing and mulling over what you're offering. And if an organization is not large enough to have an energy manager, then they're going to have a bunch of people that don't understand what you're doing. And they're going to spend a lot of time mulling over what you're trying to do to figure out whether or not it's smoker. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in, and welcome to our tribe. Today is episode 129, and we are hanging out with Casey Collins, energy manager for Duke University. Now, Casey has a couple of things to say when it comes to how to engage an energy buyer, as well as how to size up an energy market. I want a hat tip to my friend Oleg Popovsky from back in episode 62, who in many conversations has asked me to interview more customers. So here you go. Casey has a unique perspective and insight. You see, Duke is the fifth largest energy buyer in the state of North Carolina, which is perennially among the largest solar states and recently announced the 2019 Renewable Energy and Net Metering Rules. A few quick facts about my home state of North Carolina. It's the second largest banking center in the United States behind New York. And the Research Triangle Park right here in Durham is the largest research center in the U.S. and also houses the University of North Carolina, Duke University, North Carolina State, where the Desire Database of uh, Renewable Energy Incentives was born. And in 2018, North Carolina was ranked number one on Forbes Best States for Business ranking for a second year in a row. Well, will it be another good year for solar in North Carolina? And what's it actually like to be the buyer of energy rather than the seller? Stick around to find out. You can find more great founder stories and solar startup advice in over 125 episodes archived at mysuncast.com. While you're there, check out our Suncast tribe where you can be part of my inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors by clicking on the member button and learn more. And now get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, today on Suncast, we are going to have a fun and slightly different episode than normal. I am sitting down with someone who happens to be a friend of mine here in my hometown, in my home office. For those of you who just watched uh, recently my video that I joined WeWork, uh, we're sitting in a plush little uh, conference room at WeWork Durham. I'm happy to welcome my friend Casey Collins to Suncast. Thanks for having me, Nico. Casey, tell me if I got this right. You are the energy manager for Duke University, a world-renowned uh, institution that happens to be sort of I like I think of it analogous as California. So within the North Carolina market, you're the fifth largest energy buyer. Is that right? We don't know exactly because some of the statistics are anonymized. But yeah, we're a very large presence. Certainly, uh, I guess you'd put us in the top 10. Amazing. And 
The way you explained it to me uh, earlier today is that you run what is akin to a mini a mini utility inside the university. Is that fair? That's part of it. Yep. Um, and I certainly can't take all the credit for everything that our team does and 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 my my colleagues, my management staff, and and all the the technicians and engineers up and down the chain. I have the unique opportunity, I think, to be both a supply and demand side manager. Mm -hmm. So that means I'm doing everything from your traditional building efficiency projects all the way up to helping purchase energy, make uh, design decisions, operational decisions, planning decisions for what amounts to a utility company inside of Duke University. There's a lot that I think is pertinent to the conversation. My friend Oleg Popovsky of Bragawat said, Nico, you really got to get more buyers on the conversation. Uh, help Suncast listeners understand what it's like from the buyer's perspective. So we're going to dig into some of that today, and, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. But let's start from the big picture. As a person responsible for energy procurement, as a person responsible for energy management, what do you see as the big picture energy issues for a big uh, for a large customer like Duke University? First and foremost, we at Duke University and in my role, we are we are large enough to make an impact not just on the state, but we think on the nation, right? So we we feel some responsibility to managing our our energy supply and demand, and that extends all the way to our climate action plan and our commitment to greenhouse gas neutrality. Uh, and so, a lot of what I do is is to try and execute that climate action plan. Energy is uh, the largest piece of our greenhouse gas footprint. And so that's, that's uh, in a lot of ways what we're trying to manage. But we also have to consider reliability. We have to consider uh, economics and the carrying capacity of our, our systems. We have to consider maintenance and operation because this, this is a living, breathing thing that we're running here in the, the small city that happens to be sort of on the west side of Durham. And that includes both the university and, and the medical center and one of the, of the top hospitals in the nation. Right. We live in a in a regulated state when it comes to re utility law and what I can and can't do, and so some of that is going to dictate uh, how I buy energy. Right, and that's particularly on the electrical side. I have a little bit more market exposure and a little more flexibility on other fuels, and that plays a lot into how we work with renewable suppliers, what we can and can't do. The big picture items are: we're trying to make a difference in the world here. We're trying to do it while we while we run all these things in this nonprofit world that we've uh that we've got over here so still at the big picture a lot of folks would recognize a couple of things that are true about north carolina north carolina state has the energy center which created the desire database right. tracks incentives etc it's funny not a lot of folks coming out into the renewables space come out of north carolina state oddly enough more in north carolina come out of say app state or other programs yeah, that have yeah. renewable specific but We've also birthed some of the major players, FLS, that now is part of Cypress Creek. Cypress Creek mm -hmm. that now is, you know, for mm -hmm. all intents and purposes, mm -hmm. kind of a new uh, a Sun Edison type company that's na that's nationwide, massive footprint, Strata Solar. Right. And that's thanks to the purple regulations in North Carolina that are specific to North Carolina, possibly the last true purple market, <laughs> right. the QF or qualified facility which made North Carolina second only to California as the largest growth market for, for solar in, uh, in the U.S. and the largest install capacity. That's trailing a bit, but can you, as an energy buyer in the state, speak to your perspective of renewables, supply and demand? Does it even register for you guys as corporate buyers 
that North Carolina is a state that is massively uh, onboarding and, and putting online solar and other types of renewables, right? Like some biogas, things like that. Yeah, I know correct. biogas is one of your one of your hot buttons. So. You hit the nail on the head. North Carolina has been widely recognized for, for all the solar development that's come online. But most of that has happened at the utility scale. And mm-hmm. so it feels relatively distant from the consuming public, yeah. um, certainly from the residential sector. You know, you do see residential rooftop, but you don't, there's no third party sales or leasing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's some changes that are, that are coming down the pipe, but they're not there yet. I myself, as a representative of a large institution, can't do a PPA. Mm-hmm. Right now, for any single retail electric account, I could net meter up to one megawatt, mm-hmm. you know, on my commercial facility. Per meter. Per meter. It's gotcha. kind of kind of laid out per meter. That, but that's you basically figuring out how to finance it yourself. That's you right. Have to, that's right. You have to balance sheet that asset. That's exactly right. Yeah, it becomes it becomes a behind the meter customer owned piece only. You've seen some creative situations in North Carolina, um, some tax flip leaseback type arrangements that is a common one. That are legal. That are technically legal, yeah. Because um, I mean the, the the law in North Carolina says unless you're a registered public utility, you can't sell electricity. Who's done that? Give me examples that are publicly Duke Energy, right? Yeah. Duke and really it's still Duke Energy Carolinas, Duke Energy Progress, right. Dominion yeah. Power. Um and then we have but the, but the tax sale, the the equity the tax Oh, tax flip leaseback. Yeah. Um I don't know that I have a, I, can, I don't have a specific entity in mind, but are you familiar with the concept? Well, why don't we explain the concept? Sure, let's do it. So a tax flip leaseback is where an owner would lease a rooftop, you know, or a ground mount, a, a, a plot of land for a ground mount system to a developer. That developer would in turn actually lease the solar PV producing equipment back to the owner at some uh, relatively low cost. And then they'd agree on a monthly service fee. Mm-hmm. That more or less covered the cost of that capital equipment. Right. The way that works, I think, and I'm an engineer, not a lawyer, yeah. is that um, the owner owns the equipment and that's what's generating the capital. Yeah. But because you've flipped it through an LLC, there's a way to take advantage of the income, or excuse me, investment tax credits right. that are available until what we have another couple months. Yeah. And one of the reasons that North Carolina was a boom market was less about the QFs, which were nice. And more about the state tax equity, right? Right, and yeah. which is a premium, thirty five percent. Yeah, it was thirty five percent state tax credit. Right. Where are we at on that right now? Yeah, North that's Carolina? that's been entirely sundowned. Yeah. Um, and so that means we're we're still living with the uh, with the federal thirty uh, percent, and we'll watch that tail off. Really curious to see what that does, combined with uh, some of the PERPA QF uh, rule changes that have come down the pipe in the last year. Real quick, because I feel like you probably can answer this as an engineer and energy manager better than I could. For those unfamiliar, explain PERPA, mm-hmm. why that matters, like why that is sure. a piece of the equation and what a QF is. Yeah. So PERPA is a Public Utility Regulatory Policy Act, which dates to 1970. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, a, you know, it was a piece of, of legislation that my understanding really came out of the, uh, some of the Arab oil embargoes and the mm-hmm. desire the to 70s, increase yeah. domestic energy production. So... When PERPA was rolled out, it meant that utilities were required to buy any electrical production from small QFs, qualifying facilities. And so these qualifying facilities historically were small hydro plants, you know, maybe a farmer that happened to have a generator and could export a little bit of power. There was probably not any forethought in the 70s that this could turn into a major driver for hooking up renewables to the grid. Yeah. I recently had an interview with another entrepreneur who runs a company that's now owned by Virgin Group, Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Bruce Levy. And he was talking about how 
international power, which is now part of Anji, was one of the big players in the 90s and early 2000s, mm-hmm. creating these QFs, mm-hmm. not just here, but in other uh, regulated markets around the world as it started to populate as a model. Sure. I mean, it's not, it's not the first time that a legislative model we've created in the U.S. has basically perpetuated <laughs> itself around the world yeah. for yeah. good or bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I feel like those who are particularly steeped in, those of you listeners who are particularly steeped in the resi and CNI, commercial industrial space, you're not so familiar with these, these terminologies. That's why I ask folks like Casey, who are experts, to help us wrap our heads around it. To that end as well, one of the things that blew me away, I knew uh, one day we would want to have you on Suncast. It was the first time we had breakfast. You talked about how the next day you were going to be spending basically the whole day locking yourself in a closet studying HB 589 House Bill for North Carolina that introduces what you call, I think is the green source advantage. Is that yep, right? That's one of the three things that came out of uh, House Bill 589. Yeah. yeah. So why don't you tell us about, for those unfamiliar, House Bill 589, what's its purpose? Sure. What, what are your thoughts on it? And I'd also like, in your explanation of it, to interject with the core sort of terminology, like intervener, what does it mm-hmm. mean? Yeah. Uh, how, did, how do you as an energy manager decide one way or the other how you're going to propose this internally? Is right. this good for Duke as the, one of the largest buyers in the state? Et cetera? Sure, sure. You understand the conversation. I'm just setting the table for you. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. So this is a good time to say that the opinions I'm sharing here are my own and, and not those of Duke University. <laughs> Obviously, I, in some ways, I can't unentangle all of that, but but I but I don't speak on behalf of, of the university as a whole in this regard. So so House Bill 589 was passed last year, signed into law by Governor Roy Cooper, who, by the way, it's a good time to mention that uh, uh, the Cooper administration just signed Executive Order Number 80, which commits uh, the executive branch, more or less, of North Carolina and all the operations to uh, some substantial renewable energy and energy efficiency targets. So good piece of reading, maybe something to, uh, to share with we'll listeners. That, yeah. yeah. Um, so yay, home state. So House Bill 589 uh, enables uh, three things. One, it actually changed the procurement process that the uh, investor-owned utilities in North Carolina have to have to take uh, for hooking up distributed generation. So like you mentioned, Nico, um, it actually kind of puts a little bit of a tweak on, on how North Carolina had interpreted PURPA law until this. And so it went from being sort of a, a five megawatt PURPA QF Mm. Uh, threshold uh, now down to a one megawatt mm. per PQF threshold, and it directs the uh, the public investor-owned utilities to go out and really develop an RFP process. Right, and that's really deep in the policy and regulatory world. Number two, it provided some commercial residential solar rebates again coming out of the investor-owned utilities and enabled them to to do that or to directed them to develop those programs. Because there had, like you noted, been a sundown on the state level tax credits uh, and an anticipated sundown on the federal tax credit, investment tax credit. And then number three, it created a PPA-like, but not really a PPA program for large electrical buyers. And so currently under consideration from the North Carolina Utilities Commission is a program called Green Source Advantage, mm-hmm. like you noted. So Green Source Advantage is a way for large commercial clients with either a single site load of more than a megawatt or an aggregate site load of more than five megawatts to be able to go out, negotiate directly with solar developers, and then basically pay a service charge to the investor-owned utilities so that renewable generation shows up on your retail power bill. This is novel, and it's really sort of a policy workaround for a lot of other North Carolina 
yeah. you know, regulatory reasons. It's not a true PPA, but it is a way for not just the, the power, uh, but also the environmental attributes, right? The RECs to show up with the, with the customer. So there's some carve outs for the UNC, the University of North Carolina um, mm-hmm. collegiate system. There's some carve outs for the military. And then there's a, just sort of the everybody else commercial. And, and Duke University is the everybody else commercial. We're a private institution. Yeah. We're not a, not a public institution. The overall cap for allowable generation brought online through the GSA program is 600 megawatts. That's not very much. <laughs> it's, it's not very much considering North Carolina has what? Eight gigawatts, I think. I don't know what we're closing in on. I um, mean, yeah, I was gonna say, look, I think Strata and Cypress right now, just in the Carolinas combined, have five gigawatts of pipeline. Yeah. Just in the Carolinas between the two companies. Right. And they're by far not the, not the only companies. Correct. You still got independent. You still got a, a hand. I mean, you got a handful. You got Southern Current down in Charleston, right? Like they're yeah. gunning. They got yep. Jason yep. here. They're gunning for North Carolina. In my view, and I think that this is the most important piece of information to share, if you aren't already operating in North Carolina, you can almost forget being a part of that 600 (laughs) megawatts. This is like the California Solar Initiative launching in 2006 at 35 cents a kilowatt hour. And literally both the first and the second step, which was 32 cents, were gone in a week. Right. The first step was gone in an hour and a half. Yeah, that's a quick, that's a pretty quick bid. Hey, Warrior, if you're like me, you like to use best-in-class tools to accomplish the job at hand. And you want an ecosystem of products that all talk to each other without you having to do any of the heavy lifting. You're looking for time savings, and you want it to work for you without the huge learning curve. Am I right? That's why many Suncast listeners are also such huge fanatics of Helioscope. It's a great software platform, sure, but it also seamlessly connects with other great software platforms to help you design your solar projects faster, easier, more bankable. You can use NearMap for high-res imagery, Homer for microgrid design, Unirac U-Builder, Ecotiza for Spanish projects, and, of course, Energy Toolbase. Folsom Labs believes in empowering your productivity ecosystem to save you time and money. If you're already using Helioscope, ask how you can maximize your effort with these awesome plugins. And if you aren't using Helioscope, head to mysuncast.com and click on the Helioscope banner on the homepage, where you as a Suncast listener will be gifted an extra 30 days. That's right, 60 free days to trial Helioscope. Find out what Helioscope can do for you. And I know you are a fan of time savings, so I'd ask, what would you do? with two extra hours every day? What if there was a better way to run your reports, send your invoices, manage your projects at all stages, monitor your sites, and what if none of that involved copying and pasting from the dreaded Excel? Our friends over at PowerHub make solar projects and portfolios easier to manage. PowerHub is flexible and customizable so it can support your business and make your life easier, saving you time, and making your business money. See, using PowerHub makes you look good. How's that for ROI? Go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. I would ask you, is that interpretation accurate given what you know about how they're going to allocate the 600 megawatts? Or is there a shot for companies coming out of Illinois or California that want to try and do business here to get into the lineup? Sure, there, there might be a shot. 
that piece of that tariff, uh, and it will show up as a tariff with both Duke Energy Carolinas and Duke Energy Progress. Uh, I can't speak for Dominion. I'm not a Dominion customer, mm-hmm. and they only have a they have a pretty small uh, service territory in the state. Yeah, the rules are still being negotiated and written at the North Carolina Utilities Commission level, mm-hmm. and so that rulemaking process is not necessarily straightforward. It's not necessarily short, but at the end of the day, you know we. As a resident of North Carolina and also as a large uh, a large energy buyer, I hope that it's a workable program that allows folks to deliver or to, to, to get green power, you know, at an affordable when, cost. When do they have to have those rules locked in? If you read, I think, the statute, it, it, it should have been in place but right now. Um, but the Utilities Commission, that docket is still open, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and so there are still interveners in the docket that are going back and forth. Um, and for those that don't know, an intervener is is someone that has chosen to to participate or or uh, has a claim that they have some valuable information that would inform the rulemaking process, uh-huh. right? So um, that's going to be not just the utility companies themselves that have to show up at the uh, utilities commission to show um, uh, to, to to seek approval, but also um, could be any other entity. Um, but the intervener list, um, you know, that's that's just part of the regulatory filing process and and sort of the the business of rulemaking in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And choosing to be an intervener dep- is dependent upon whether or not the legislation is to your favor or not. Right, yeah. You may seek to, to intervene just to share information. You may seek to intervene to, uh, to influence. Gotcha. So you could intervene to say, well, I think it's fair to say being an intervener is influencing. Like, it's entirely influencing, either to share more information or to say this shouldn't happen or to create a blockade for a period of time such that it doesn't benefit certain people in the transaction process. We give lots of examples offline, yeah. but <laughs> um, of I, how people have used the intervener process yeah. uh, unscrupulously. Be that as it may, what the listeners should know is that the rules aren't sure. Like n- nobody's really certain what the rules are right now. Right. Everybody believes they know what they're going to be. You know, you talk to Southern Energy Management and yes, solar, like the, guy, the, the guys who are depending on these rules to be in place and Southern Current so that they can transact business day to day, this process is holding them up, right? They got contracts signed, waiting for the rules yes. to be put in place. Can't speak as a, as a representative for the solar development industry, but I would, I would agree with that statement. Yeah, there's, there's stuff that is in limbo until we figure out what the rules are for mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to perhaps our final and very interesting point. A lot of those guys have approached you. Duke has... How many millions of square feet of uh, facilities or about hundreds? Tw- we have about 20 million square feet of built environment, right? Right. And I imagine one twentieth of that is rooftop. So a million <laughs> yeah. plus square feet of rooftop, right? Sure. And, and it should be noted that you've got land, right? He's a lar- one of the largest, call it top 10, top five buyers in the state. You must get hit on like the hot girl <laughs> on campus every single week. Tell me what that is like for you. And <laughs> yeah. maybe we'll consider this a PSA, but I really hope that the Suncast audience can learn from this what we might call the do's and don'ts of interacting with an energy manager. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I'm not an attractive person, but uh, <laughs> but uh, that beard, in, though. in the engineering world, <laughs> in the engineering world, uh, I get a lot of cold calls. I'll, I'll put it that way. The things that matter, there, there's a couple of big picture issues. One, uh, you know, all business and especially the energy business is, is local, right? 
I don't care what projects you've done elsewhere. And I don't care what projects you've done down the road for my neighbor, unless my neighbor has the exact same rules and economics as I do. Right. And I want to know not just who's in your, in your management team, but I want to know the guy that's going to be on the ground on my site. Because that's a guy I got to get hooked up with my project managers, with my engineering staff, with me, because these are real physical things that we're building here, right? And I think that, you know, not just renewables folks, but anybody that's working in sort of the facilities world or the built environment, we have so much greenwashing that's going on with services and products that people forget that it's a real tangible thing that you got to go do. Yeah. And that somebody has to do that. And so I want to meet that somebody. Mm-hmm. And if you don't bring that somebody to the table, you're probably not getting a call back. Yeah. Give me an example of a message that you've gotten recently that you immediately hit delete on. Let's say if you use, if you use three, three too many buzzwords in the same sentence, like please don't combine sustainability, synergy, you know, holistic in the same sentence as you're trying to describe your services. So if you've got a synergy around holistic sustainability approach. Yeah. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> it, 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 means, it, it, it means you are trying to do everything without knowing that you do one thing well. And so that's not a, that's not to call anybody out, but that's a, that's a real thing, right? Is it fair to say as an energy manager, <clears throat> you're more impressed by someone who says, you know what? I believe you're probably going to be in your role or in some role that's influential within your organization for a long time. And I'd like to develop a relationship with you. So it does, like you said, the last 10 projects or the next 10 projects are irrelevant to you. And I may offer 10 different things. But when I call you, I'm going to say, hey, Casey, you probably already know everything you know about House Bill 589, but our widget X will save you 5% of Y if Z thing in house bill passes. Call me back if this is interesting to you. If you understand the market conditions and whether we all like it or not, we're not dealing with a purely open market, especially yeah. in the energy yeah, world, right? The local rules, the state rules, whatever whatever jurisdiction we're talking about, you know, sets a lot of what the market can do. So if you have a good understanding of the marketplace and how it's unique to to my to my uh, locale, I'm probably going to talk to you again. Mm-hmm. And and like you say, it's a it's good for somebody to understand what that what I can do and what I can't do. And absolutely, I value long-term relationships. Certainly Duke University intends to be here for another hundred years. And so I'm not interested in implementing solutions that I've got to turn around every year. I don't have manpower for that. You know, I need somebody that understands the amount of, let's call it social capital, I got to expend to get this thing done. How would I understand that? You can talk to me. (laughs) You can ask me. Um, even within the you know the higher education sector, you know a lot of schools are organized as a business and in, in very different That's ways, right. <clears throat> and so it does take time. Right. I can tell you for a fact that I remember like an elephant sales and marketing folks that make a, a good solid impression, and folks that I think get not just what they're doing, but what they what how they think it can help me. And it's not my job to just turn everybody away. As the energy manager, I'm actually trying to change the status quo, which means I'm looking for innovative solutions. And I got to figure out how I can apply different technologies or services within the the scope of things that my team does. Totally makes Um, sense. But yes, I have called people two years later and said, I remember what you talked about. Are you doing this? How is it different? What improvements have you made? What have you learned? Come in, let's have a chat. Yeah, that's fantastic. To that end, 
talking about the longevity, not just of your role, but of the necessity for a salesperson, business development person to be in the game. Some folks don't get it out the gate. They don't get the nature of what you what your your project cycle looks like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fair? Yeah. How long would you estimate that it would take for someone starting a conversation with you right now to get a deal done? Let's just say like they're exactly what you've been looking for. Yeah. Yeah. If it's a piece of physical infrastructure, mm-hmm. two to three years. Yeah. Right. That's not necessarily something huge. That's because when you work in the sort of facility services world, yeah. and especially in the energy world, if my primary business isn't trying to make and sell energy, yeah. then energy is everywhere, yeah. but it's got to support the primary mission of the university, right? Duke University doesn't go around trying to be energy efficient for the sake of energy efficiency, We're trying to be energy efficiency so we can be energy efficient so we can better use our resources to teach and to heal and to, you know, research and all that good stuff, right? Those are the big deals. So, you know, a budget cycle might be a year, but I'm planning at least 18 months in advance for where I'm going to spend that money. You totally took the next question out of my hands. Yeah. Uh, I love um, that because it's, it's not only how long does yeah. it take to get a deal done, but how far out are you looking, right? Because right? I remember very clearly sitting down a year ago with a client uh, or rather a prospect, they're now a client, who looked at me across the table and he said, Nico, I hope you understand we're talking about 2019. This is November of 2017, yeah, right? Right. That for me, even though like I've been in this game a long time, like that was the most important conversation I ever had with that client because they very clearly brought to the forefront the nature of the real nature of the conversation. You have to understand that you're not going to get revenue from this for another 14 to 18 months. Right. So if you're in for that and it doesn't mean that you're going to get anything, then game off. And I feel that a lot of solar contractors believe that like the residential market where you can step in on day one and in a month, they're generating electricity from the solar that you put on their roof. They feel like, oh, CNI is also that way. Utilities longer, right? Yeah, like right. We got friends in North Carolina that have been developing the same asset for <laughs> yeah. 10 yeah. years. They've been in the queue for four, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend in Puerto Rico who, no exaggeration, I just found out he's going to build, a, 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 I won't say what size plant, but a utility scale plant that he's been developing for 12 years, yeah. right? So utility scale and resi is a whole different spectrum. And part of our job within Suncast is to help folks who are trying to up-level their game really understand what's at stake and hyper-focus on where they can have the most advantage, the biggest leverage, and learn as much as they can from folks like you sure. who are experts in their field so that when they go out and start executing on, as an expert in the field themselves, they're bringing their A game. I appreciate the insight from you. I think we've really given folks a lot to chew on. Any final thoughts from your perspective on engaging with an energy manager? Sure, yeah. I, I guess it, I'll identify a problem without a solution, which I don't like to do, but it's something that bears consideration, I guess, you know, for you and for your audience. If an organization is large enough to have an energy manager, then that means that they're going to spend a lot of time, a lot of technical time, analyzing and mulling over what you're offering. And if an organization is not large enough to have an energy manager, then they're going to have a bunch of people that don't don't understand what you're doing or selling. And they're going to spend a lot of time mulling over what you're trying to do to figure out whether or not it's smoke or, or a real thing. And so 
yeah, commercial solutions and, and, you know, managing commercial properties, managing institutional properties is a longer cycle. Some of that is, you know, sort of market structure, right? You know, I can't do anything about the solar interconnection queue. Like that's going to take what it takes. It takes longer to understand the economics of any one particular uh, facility. You know, you mix in owned and leased stuff. It's a whole nother thing. So I'll throw that out there as an issue. I'm not in the business of trying to figure out the solution <laughs> um, any more than, than, than I need to to really help me accomplish my goals. Okay, so neither you nor I have the answers. As you said, it potentially is a problem without a solution at the moment. There are a lot of problems that we aren't able to solve, but one problem I feel like we've solved today is that a lot of our listeners now are well-armed to go have that conversation with someone sitting in your desk and make that person feel all the more comfortable that they're really dealing with an informed, educated expert in their field. Thank you for helping us with that. Absolutely, man. I'm glad to do it. Uh, you know, we do the work, we do the hard work, we keep fighting the fight. Absolutely. Power on, Solar Warriors. You know, sometimes I'm humbled by the incredible knowledge dispensed here by folks on Suncast. I'm privileged to call them friends, and every now and then they drop by and come on the show. Such it is today with Casey Collins, and I hope to have Casey back on Suncast to continue the discussion around how to better engage with your end customer. He has a wealth of knowledge and meaningful experience on the topic. Wouldn't you agree? What do you think is going to happen next year in North Carolina? Are there other states that we should be focused on as well here on Suncast? I try not to get down to the state level so often, but I'm open to experts that want to come on and dispel wisdom or dispel myths and dispense wisdom, as it were. If you have some ideas, would you mind letting me know? I love hearing from you and put your input directly into the earballs of the rest of the Suncast tribe. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-O-M-E-O, that's Nico Mayo, or on LinkedIn, so many of you do. Let me know what you think, would you? And if you're not already a member of our Suncast tribe, would you consider supporting the podcast financially by becoming a member? You can go to mysuncast.com forward slash member to learn more or email me, nico at mysuncast.com. I'd love to chat with you about it. The tribe is my inner circle of supporters and trusted advisors, and I'd love to count you as one. Next week, we're going to return to the engineering management side of the business. I think there's going to be a realization that standards add value. And if, uh, you know, Orange Button and Sunspec can become more of everyone's conversation, uh, I think that those would be two great things to move our industry forward. That's Anastasios Hionis, founder of PV Amps, a third-party engineering firm based in Sacramento, California. Tune in next week as Anastasios and I discuss how to optimize your project from planning to PTO. Hope you have a fantastic weekend, Warrior, and thanks again for showing up. It's half the battle.